You're listening to What Mad Universe on the HyperX Podcast Network. Check out all our shows on podcast.hyperx.com. Content warning. Drugs, life after death, Nazis, and reality itself gaslighting people. Action, excitement, horror, romance, thrills and chills, swords and sorcery, rockets and ray guns, a dizzying canopy of the strange and impossible from the darkest depths of the human imagination. What mad universe encompasses such tales as these? Join us as we bear witness to the sweeping sprawl of all the history that never was and all the futures that could yet be. It's adventure as you like it on What What Mad Universe. The best way to ask for beer is to sing out Ubik. Made from select hops, choice water, slow age for perfect flavor, Ubik is the nation's number one choice in beer, made only in Cleveland. Upright in her transparent casket, encased in an effluvium of icy mist, Ella Runciter lay with her eyes shut, her hands lifted permanently towards her impassive face. It had been three years since he had seen Ella, and of course she had not changed. She never would now, at least not in the outward physical way. But with each resuscitation into active half-life, into a return of cerebral activity, however short, Ella died somewhat. The remaining time left to her pulse phased out and ebbed. Knowledge of this underwrote his failure to rev her up more often. He rationalized this way, that it doomed her, that, that to activate her constituted a sin against her. As to her own stated wishes, before her death and in early half-life encounters, this had become handily nebulous in his mind. Anyway, he would know better being four times as old as she. What had she wished? To continue to function with him as co-owner of Runciter Associates. Something vague on that order. Well, he had granted this wish. Now, for example. And six or seven times in the past. He did consult her at each crisis of the organization. He was doing so at this moment. Damn this earphone arrangement, he grumbled as he fitted the plastic disc against the side of his head. And this microphone. All impediments to natural communication. He felt impatient and uncomfortable as he shifted about on the inadequate chair which Vogelsang, or whatever his name was, had provided him. He watched her rev back into sentience, and wished she would hurry. And then in panic he thought, maybe she isn't going to make it. Maybe she's worn out, they didn't tell me. Or they don't know. Maybe, he thought, I ought to get that Vogelsang creature in here to explain. Maybe something terrible is wrong. Philip K. Dick might just be Hollywood's favorite SF writer. His work has been adapted into the TV shows The Man in the High Castle and Electric Dreams, and the films Minority Report, Paycheck, Total Recall, and, of course, Blade Runner. But none of these have ever really captured the trippy philosophical nature of Dick's work, in which there's no limit to the possibilities of the human mind, not even reality itself. Today, at the suggestion of our friend and guest, Andre Gordon, we're looking at Dick's 1969 novel Ubik, which serves as a good window into what made him such a unique writer. It's What Mad Universe, the podcast that's also a floor wax and a dessert topping. And now here are some other fine products and services that may help keep the darkness at bay. Class is back in session, and HyperX has the grade A gear you need for dorm life, remote classes, and for schooling folks online. 
Shop the HyperX back-to-school deals going on now at HyperX.com to help make your return to student life a breeze. Comfortable cloud headsets can keep you focused in as you cram for finals with some lo-fi beats, and stay productive with lightweight Pulsefire mice, responsive alloy keyboards, and more. Keep your GPA and your KDA high with HyperX products and accessories. Previously on Chat of the Wild. But what we have to do is there are these seeds in these little holes that we have to put specific water on mm -hmm. to make them grow up. And we get the Mario uh, sound effect for the vines going up. Yes. Like it's what, what exactly is the sound effect for Mario that they use? <laughs> Can you guys just do that simultaneously again? <laughs> Thanks. Chat of the Wild, breaking down Zelda and Zelda-like games, one dungeon at a time. Wednesdays on the HyperX Podcast Network. All right. So once again, we're here uh, with What Mad Universe. I am, of course, Adam Prosser. Uh, with me is, as always, Philip Rice. Hello. And a uh, special guest today is our friend, uh, uh, who has a doctorate in philosophy, Andre, Andre Gordon. Uh, undergraduate degree, but sure. Thank you. Oh, I got it wrong. Oh, no. Well, get out. No. Um, Doctors a, only. A, mas uh, a master's in, um, uh, what did you say? Public policy? Public exactly. policy, yeah. Yes. Public policy, administration, yeah. and law. Yeah. Yes. For, sorry. Yeah. Oh, well, fair enough. But uh, hopefully I haven't hyped you up this much. I did ask... Uh, you know, Andre Gordon, if there was a, something he wanted to uh, talk about on the show. And he said, um, Phil, he said, you, but he said this book by Philip K. Dick. Um, and uh, having read it, I, I can definitely see why it is. Um, as I said at the beginning, Philip K. Dick, he's a, a writer who you see a lot ad getting adapted. Um, and they very rarely kind of get into the aspects of his story, his stories that, um, that he seemed to be most obsessed with. Um, they often just sort of grab hold of the gimmick or two, the the central gimmick or two, and and ignore some of the other stuff that happens. Um, what was it, uh, Andre, that made you say this is the book? This is the one I want to talk about with regard to Dick. I think it's a strong bridge between commercial Philip K. Dick and then right and like the every everyday Philip K. Dick, if you will, in terms of the the man is, ha, is one of the most extensive um, sci-fi writers uh, ever. Um, he has. A huge, a huge amount of stories that people have never read, They've, and and a lot of his most famous books were based on short stories uh, or um, contain or contained narratives, and a lot. Uh, and this one, I think, is a great bridge between those sorts of stories. So the sort of story you would expect from like the guy who inspired Minority Report, etc., and a lot, a lot of the the back catalog of his uh, of, of his more trippy sorts of uh, sorts of books so yeah yeah it's it, it really is it's it's very emblematic of his stuff uh what did you think about it uh philip oh um yeah philip k dick is a uh one of many blind spots i have for the uh, uh post 1920s science fiction i guess um um so I, I hadn't actually uh read anything uh he had written and that, that's one of the things i, I like about what doing this show um getting to uh you know arthur c clark is another one I, I i had read a little bit of arthur c clark but uh um still like is uh getting into a lot of these like big names that i, I uh had neglected because i'm so focused on you know 
yeah, the early the, the crap that nobody stuff, has, yeah. nobody's heard of. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it's important. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, yeah, this is um, so. I, I don't really have much to to compare it to uh, uh, from uh, Dick's other writing because I haven't read any. But I have seen a number of movies that he's uh, worked on, or yeah. that he's um, inspired rather. <laughs> I know that yeah. um, things like Minority Report and even Blade Runner are very uh, altered. Uh, in their final form uh, as movies from the uh, original. Um, but that that's basically all I know, that they're different somehow. I don't really know the specifics. Uh, it's actually significant, I think, that, um, yeah, like um, all, all, everything that's been adapted to the screen has been heavily changed. And fun, uh, funnily enough, the thing um, that probably captures some of the as- certain aspects of Dick's work the best is Total Recall, uh, except that, of course, it's it's also a ludicrous Paul Verhoeven movie in its own way, right? Like, but it does capture that sort of is reality real aspect, which is a big thing in his books. We'll talk about that in a bit. Um, sorry, you had something else you wanted to say, uh, Philip? Oh yeah, uh, on the book itself, uh, I liked it quite a bit. Uh, kept me guessing uh, through a lot of it. Um, some predictions that I had uh, turned out to be false, and uh, I like it when that happens. Uh, you know, not that the, the goal of reading a book is to outsmart it, but, you know, <laughs> um, it, it's, uh, it is fun when a book does outsmart you. Yeah. Um, uh, for, for, you know, like, uh, without saying too much, it's, it's got the, uh, occurrence of Al at Owl Creek Bridge going on kind of, uh, for this, this story, I think. Um, actually that was something I wanted to ask about, uh, with, uh, uh, something uh you had mentioned uh andre um that it's um it's it, it it's indicative of the reality tension buildup of a philip k dick story uh and in that way it plays off more of a thriller than a hard sci-fi story uh would you generally categorize this as a sci-fi work i would uh but it's what it's one of those things where like it's the thing with 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 dick sometimes is that he's he seems he's very much a person who's focused on i don't care what I'm doing, I just want to write something cool. Um, and, like, there's sometimes with, like, Asimov or Clark, where it's like, it seems like, okay, now you're just forcing some rockets into this for no reason. You know what I mean? Like, um, there's no reason why this needs to be here. Like, he only... Uh, uh, I think Dick only brings brings in characterizations and, and story elements that fit the sort of fun little, like, head trip he's trying to give you, essentially. And I would... So, therefore, I would characterize it as science fiction... Kind of like how, and I honestly think this is a very direct comparison, how Inception is also science fiction. Like, the actual technology that, in, in Inception, that um, actually, like, uh, does the, the, dream, the, the dream sharing and stuff, they barely, they barely uh, talk about because that's not the point. Um, it's, I think the very, something very similar happening here uh, with, with Ubik in terms of the... Um, the uh, the after the afterlife quote unquote sharing uh, with people is the main thrust and the MacGuffin of the story, which they barely explain. And because again, Philip Kiddick is just trying to do something cool. A lot of science fiction is tr- uh, even soft science fiction um, focuses on trying to over-explain its own premise. Uh, the 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 book I think works really well and and it's really quick. It's only like a couple hundred pages. Because he's just like, I don't care. Let me do the cool shit now, basically. So, yeah. Yeah. I, 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 now, I would say that if, like, if you're using a familiar science fiction technology, 
and you don't feel the need to explain it that heavily. Like, for instance, if you had faster than light travel or something. Um, I, I don't feel most people, you know, at this point would feel the need to spell that out unless there's something really unusual about it. Um, and, and But it would still be considered science fiction, I think. Uh, like, I would define it as... Uh, you know, you you couldn't really tell this story outside of the science fiction genre, right? Like it's it's. I I did say I did mention occurrence of at Owl Creek Bridge, but it would be a different story if you uh, if you told it outside the sci-fi um, genre. Um, it, it places it in a certain specific way. Among other things, uh, the various the the way it keeps you guessing is partly down to, well, science fiction stuff is happening, um, and, uh, like, you can't pin it down to what it is. There, there's a big um, uh, red herring in uh, Pat, Pat uh, Conley, the, uh, the, the, the woman who seems to have abilities that are, are pretty big. <laughs> that, like, they seem like that's going to be a big part of the story, and it actually isn't, uh, because apparently she can literally go back in time and alter history. Uh, she's not going back in time. She like reaches into alternate pasts and make them happen instead of the actual past that happened. Right. It's, it's a very confusing. Um, it's like uh, the the power villain on JoJo's Bizarre Adventure would have. Uh, they have a, <laughs> there's a lot of time manipulation stuff, and it's it's very confusing often. So it yeah, reminded I, me of that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it feels like I mean that's that's something that would make you like godlike and yeah. Her as a character, she's a real cipher. Like you don't understand why she wouldn't be using it all the time, and why she wants to even go work at this company, which hires telepaths and people with, uh, you know, cognitive abilities of different kinds, psionic abilities, as he calls them. Um, what did you think about that, uh, Andre? Like just the the weird way he just tosses out these things and then doesn't make them a huge part of the story. It's interesting because I think that it's a part of um, his predilection towards these sorts of things. His his he is fascinated with with quote unquote precogs, if you will. Those have st- shown up in a number of his stories, including famously Minor's Minority Report. Um, and uh, I think that w- there is a level of his he maybe he's coming with the idea of like I, I want to put this in there to make it to add my signature into a story but like that was just sort of it's like how um other authors will add in there um the things that will kind of identify them as that author but not really kind of just leave and just kind of leave it hanging like again like you know um a great example would be Asimov and just putting robots even even though you need you don't need to have robots in the story sort of thing um i, I think it's a good example so i think there's like the i think the reason why he had it in there is because he's also frankly obsessed with the cerebral in terms of keeping people guessing and intentionally writing characters that will always you will never really know the intention of because the like he'll just write he'll just literally write it the, it's written into the character to retcon that any any explanation that you can that you can give it um so there there's level there's levels of that there too so i think it's um uh, a part of it, of, a, of the cat and mouse, the chase game that he's doing with his own, with his audience, frankly, um, uh, and, 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 and to to add to his satisfaction, his um, fascination with um, precogs and those sorts of characters and stuff. There's also the the mystery element, like because uh, as you said, we don't know what's going on for the majority of it, 
and I had assumed she was doing it, and and that that's sort of like she's a red herring. I th- I think you said that, Adam. Uh, she's um uh, I really assume because her powers seem to be similar to what was happening, you know, with uh, uh, say money regressing to like earlier forms of um, and that that was an interesting aspect. Um, the the um. What was it? The structural decay. Uh, the uh, yeah. Um, the reality yeah. decay. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, say um, time kept like objects kept slipping back into earlier forms, and they find that uh, you know a car will become an earlier model of the same car or something, and and slipping mm-hmm. back, and uh, money has different like becomes an old out of mint uh, coin or something like that, um, and and it's um, it actually uh, brings up Plato's world of forms and it sort of ties into that. Like the, the idea that there's, there's an essence of, uh, of an object and um, what's happening here is it's just flipping into other forms of, or other uh, uh, permutations of that, you know, central form. Right. Like there's an idea of what money is and it's just shifting between earlier forms of money. Yeah, it's 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 a uh, it's a significant thing, and it it makes uh, uh, what I've some of the other stuff I've read with Dick. He often doesn't isn't that concerned with making like purely rational sense. He 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 seems to have been a big uh, believer in uh, you know the kind of stuff that, for lack of a better word, woo uh, that was kind of getting popular in the '60s and '70s, which is when he was writing. Um, when he was talking about, like, you know, it's psionic abilities, telepathy, uh, but also sort of reality manipulation. Um, I, Andre, um, he he experimented a lot with drugs, right, Philip K. Dick? Yes, very much so. <laughs> yeah. Lots and lots of drugs. Um, I, no, sorry, yeah. No, yes, <laughs> just answering. <laughs> yeah, I, no, exactly. He, he, uh, he definitely... Um, um, he, he was definitely like a very '60s and '70s writer. Uh, he was—he came out of what we've mentioned before, the new wave. Uh, he's got one of his stories in the original *Dangerous Visions* uh, called *Faith of Our Fathers*. Um, and um, yeah, he was very big on. Uh, if there's a, a recurring theme in a lot of his—I have read several of his books and novels—and um, there's a recurring theme of your brain makes the world. Like that is a huge part of his his storytelling and the idea that like reality will start to shift and you know, your will can affect it in many ways, but also uh, you may be along for the ride to a certain extent. Uh, I mean, that's even, even in the man in the high castle, that becomes a big uh, part of it. Some, you see some of the same elements here um, where like uh, it's set in an alternate reality and it's a, it's a alternate history story, but the novel, if you've seen the show, it's very intent on the alternate history aspects. The book is almost, it's almost irrelevant. The well, not irrelevant, but it's a very minor throwaway detail. Again, it's it's a major sci-fi idea that he kind of throws away, just like he does in this book, where like, oh yeah, this is about the Nazis and the Japanese wording World War II. Uh, but that was just to create the world that the setting is in, and it's about the characters exploring reality and exploring, you know, oh maybe there's a better world out there, which in this case there definitely is because there's an alternate history that's our history where. The Allies won World War II. Um, but, and then the flow my tears, the policeman says, has uh, a character moving through uh, alternate realities as well with the power of their mind. Uh, Faith, of, Faith, of, Faith of Our Fathers, which is the story he did for, um, for uh, Dangerous Visions, has a lot of that. And 
has some of the same uh, ideas as uh, Man in the High Castle. Uh, obviously, Minority Report. Obviously, Total Recall. That's why I say Total Recall is the one that feels like it, it in some ways, is truer to Philip's, Philip K. Dick's vision because he... he um, it literally is about a guy who starts to question his reality and, like, the world that he's in and how, uh, you know, <laughs> how it's maybe too good to be true or maybe, you know, in, in a sense, he's found himself in an action movie and he's Arnold Schwarzenegger. That's in the movie. <laughs> um, and that's the kind of thing Verhoeven's always interested in because he's satirizing action movies with Robocop and, and Total Recall and and and, uh, and Starship Troopers. Uh, he's using it specifically to talk about, like, Hollywood. But Philip K. Dick would be using it to talk about more just sort of the idea of how do you know what's real? How do you know you're not stuck in a, you know, in a, in a chair somewhere having this imaginary world happen to you um that's the very that's the very philip k dick obsession that gets brought up in that movie and not really in any of the other ones that use his ideas um so that that i i just kind of find it. and again it's not that total recall is a very faithful adaptation uh from what i know i haven't actually read we can remember it for you wholesale which is the story they adapted uh but it's got that particular aspect of Philip K. Dick's work, which you don't usually see. Yeah. Um, so like, that's the thing that like my, my just to quickly jump to yeah. that, that story. I've always sort of had a frustration around um, total recall just because it is such a, I think a perfectly crystallized pro reality problem, quote unquote, of like which, which one is the real main character, if you will. And, and you're not and, and trying to figure out what that is and stuff, but it's just, it, the, the silliness really just kind of, the kind of just make kind of just distracts from it. It's very annoying. Um, and like the, the 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 story, it's the the frankly, the story itself it, um, that he wrote is great. It's just it's also really short. So it's just like I, I wanted to basically I have not I've not seen the Total Recall. I would I would like to see the three hour overly serious <laughs> pondering of reality that no one will probably make. So. <laughs> Yeah, well, they they did a reboot actually, didn't they? Uh, and yeah, it was bad. Like yeah, <laughs> yeah, with Colin Farrell, nobody liked it. Yeah, yeah it was bad. No, I, yeah, no, they, I'm they, sure it was. I mean, they changed the Mars stuff to something about uh, the center of the Earth. Like, there's a, I don't know, a train that runs through the Earth. I, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of things nobody likes, it's time for some ads. Uh, we'll be right back after these messages. Hi, we're Ellen, Steven, and Mark, hosts of Nice Games Club, the show where nice game devs talk gaming and game development. Topics include programming, design, tools, and more. We also do interviews and one-hour game jams. Listen to Nice Games Club wherever you get to your wherever you get to your podcast. You get there, <laughs> or at nicegames.club. Class is back in session, and HyperX has the grade A gear you need for dorm life, remote classes, and for schooling folks online. Shop the HyperX back-to-school deals going on at HyperX.com to help make your return to student life a breeze. Comfortable cloud headsets can help you keep you focused as you cram for finals with some low-fi beats and stay protective with lightweight pulse-fire mice, responsive alloy keyboards, and more. Keep your GPA and your KDA high with HyperX products and accessories. necessarily getting it right unfortunately so yeah you as you mentioned uh, there andre yeah so i was talking about the reality tension there and the 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 desire to sort of flicker through alternate realities did you have any thoughts on that uh, aspect of it in terms of like dick's writing in general and in this story in particular i think it was really fascinating in terms of the the uh, just in terms of like the prose i think about like just a quick aside i uh, i really 
I really liked, um, I like when authors are frankly good at their prose in terms of like explaining a thing very well, uh, and very poetically. Um, and like the way that he explains the nature of the, the reality shifting, if you will, is way, is way better than a lot of writers these days. Um, frankly, cause it's just like, it's just, oh, they, they just, they, uh, kind of obsessively and very poorly to explain, um, the reality shifting, which is a very hard philosophical concept to just explain, to talk about, let alone write in an interesting way. So yeah, so there's that, so there's that. Uh, but just in terms of the realities, the reality shifting, I'm, I am fascinated on a philosophical level, just in terms of like the, 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 because I, I feel always the upshot. I'm, in my opinion, for a lot of Phil K. Dick stories, is he wants to question. He wants you to question your own reality, really, at the end. And I, and, and we might be skipping skipping to the end here, but I think that's the point of the end of the book, if you will. Um, especially mm-hmm. the the message at the end of the book too. Like in terms of um, really having the characters second guess everything that they're looking at, including themselves and including people trying to explain these things to each other, makes. Uh, uh, I feel he does that as a means to, as an upshot to, well, what, why, how do you, how do you know for sure that you're living in the, the true reality that you're living in, right? So, like, I, the, the, the grace of where he kind of sets that up from the beginning makes you think about it and then drops the anvil, if you will, at the end, I think was really, really cool. So, um, and like the, the, um, I don't know if we'll get to it yet, but I we, I think I I would want to talk about just the the idea of of what Ubik is. So when when we get when we get to that, it'll be great. Yeah. Um, well. Yeah. Okay. That's that's a bit of a good bridge. Yeah. Just uh, just to be clear, I mean, we're we're sort of assuming uh, you know people have read the story when we're talking about it, but um, just to be clear, as I said, it does have the occurrence of Owl Creek Bridge going on. Of uh, it, the story is about a bunch of. Uh, people working for a company that employs telepaths and precogs and people with, again, psionic abilities. Uh, oh, specifically anti-psionic anti, um, psionic abilities. So these are people hired because they, um, they cancel out the abilities of psionic people. So there's, um, uh, there's various classifications of uh, psychic powers, um, one of which is, say, precogs and anti-precogs, uh, generally create confusion like um instead of just one future the the precog will see a bunch of futures um or um um and yeah there's even an anti-animator like there's the the uh the idea of uh life after death in this story is because uh, a kind of psychic uh emerged that could uh preserve uh um uh life or you know um yeah, they could cryogenically freeze you and then sort of reanimate you to talk to you. So yeah, after you die, you can still be consulted on things, essentially. Yeah, and there, there's there's even people who can cancel out that. Um, uh, and yeah, I, I found that really interesting. Like there, there's corporate espionage because corporations hire you know psychics, and then uh, uh, other corporations you know protect themselves by hiring anti psychics. And they described it as like a biological cold war with like the um, uh, the psychics uh, uh, emerging as a new stage of evolution and the um, anti what was the phrase they used for them uh, anti talents yeah uh, there was yeah. another there's another thing but anyway yeah the anti talents rising as like an opposition force 
Um, right. I thought that was really fascinating. But then, and they, yeah, that just like thrown out there at the beginning, like that just <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then again, that doesn't end up being a huge part of the story. It's like they all they're all gathered together for a meeting uh, on the, on the moon, actually, uh, fairly early on, like a third of the way in, maybe. And there's an assassination attempt as the guy they're meeting turns out to be a bomb, a human bomb, a robot bomb, robot simulacrum of a human that's a bomb, uh, and uh, Runciter is supposedly killed, uh, and then. The, Runciter is the guy who owns the company, yeah. And um, he, uh, th- they all head back to Earth, and then s- all this weird stuff starts to happen. That's when we start to see the devolution of, you know, technology going back to its earlier form, and all kinds of very strange stuff starts to happen. And uh, again, because one of the uh, psychics was a very cryptic uh, woman who had the ability to sort of alter history, uh, that's what the main character, Joe Chip, is sort of looking at her and kind of going, oh, she's, she's the one behind this. But it's revealed that, no, they all actually died in the blast and they're all in cryo and they're being contacted. But there's a further um, issue in cryo. There's a, there's a, a, a kid who is becoming uh, in cryo, but he's able to sort of absorb other people's mind waves essentially and, and render them useless. And he's doing that to all of them. So it's, he's, he's this sort of uh, alien monster who's absorbing romping through their dreams and messing with everything and, and he's someone like a, he's like a um little kid pulling the wings off flies like he's very he's torturing them with it basically yeah he's he's pretty sadistic but there's someone who's trying to help them via the method of ubik uh which is a product that's being constantly advertised to them uh on tv and which i i quoted one at the beginning there um so that's a good uh segue um yeah, so Andre, what 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 did you have to say about Ubik and what it is, perhaps? So Ubik itself is interesting because it's it's uh, obviously means ubiquitous, of course. Um, so it's everywhere, uh, but it's it's interesting in terms of the idea of like the in, within the story, it's the it's the MacGuffin that they use to protect themselves against Jory, as before, so Joe Chip doesn't get, doesn't get eaten by him. But then um, we. Uh, I feel that Phil K. Dick is giving a larger and expansive sort of response, which gets delves into the philosophical question of what is Ubik in this reality, <laughs> if you will. Because uh, he, uh, as, as he explains, is like Ubik is everywhere. Ubik's been there since the beginning, and it comes with its own names. Um, I argue, uh, many, many have argued that Ubik is probably God or a version of God, or um, the the theory. I would say that, like, to go into a more philosophical term. It's the ontological goo, if you will. It's the idea of like the the very essence of being itself is what Ubik is, uh, but like kind of twisted into this like '60s commercialism theory around reality in terms of like hence why the the it's being comp- it's advertised as like uh, uh, spray paint and uh, cereals and. And et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, because it is all of those things. Because the goo that is reality would be all all of those things too. So to ground yourself in reality is to ground yourself in ubik, which is to ground yourself in like the the essence of being itself. So to in to go into more uh, just to quickly summarize a super, a super philosophical term, what, what what I mean by ontology is just like the nature of like being in the universe, like all like the. Uh, every speck of dust, every particle, every sine wave, the the nature of gravity, all mixed together into one um, 
just background radiation of the universe, if you will. That is what Ubik is. Is what is really what we're trying. To, what really what I'm trying to say here. Um, and I think that's what what I, I, my my favorite interpretation of what Ubik is is there. Like you can just. I think saying God is easy um, and kind of a bit and a bit of a cop out, but I think it's uh, I think it's actually more interesting than that. So that's just my opinion. Yeah. Um. Philip, did you have any thoughts on that? Um. Yeah. Uh, that's that's very interesting, and I. I I, I had um, from the last uh, advertisement in the story uh, where um, he says I'm known by many things, and I, I had interpreted as God, but uh, what you're saying is more interesting than that, so I, I prefer that. Yeah, I mean, they, they, the last fake every every chapter starts with a fake ad for Ubik, where it's apparently a different product, and then by the end, it's basically a biblical passage that kind of replaces God with Ubik. But th there's an aspect here too, though that that I find like like what you're saying, Andre, is obviously like yeah, uh, that makes total sense. And Ubik is framed as a generally positive thing within the story. It protects uh, the protagonist from uh, being you know absorbed by the this evil kid. Uh, but what's interesting though is um, the like the way it's presented, there's a very significant passage which I've seen quoted before I'd read this book. I'd seen it quoted where uh, Joe Chip, the main character, um, is you know just having a day at home and he's very poor. He's very he's struggling, uh, you know, financially. And uh, in this cyberpunk future, you have to pay for everything. You had to even in your own house, you have to put in a coin to make a coffee. And the front door, you literally have to put in five cents every time you want to get through the door. Um yeah, and it's, on, it's, uh, sorry, just uh on that, I uh, on Twitter I called uh the, the book as I started reading it, uh, The Attack of the Killer Microtransactions. Uh, yeah. It really yeah, feels it, like the end point of a lot of uh what yeah, exactly. uh, various companies want to do. Or like if yeah. the, if the Flintstones animals rebelled. That's pretty much what that is. <laughs> yeah, it's a living. Well, he literally has the door threatening to sue him at one point um, because he just decides screw this and he he takes the door off the hinges basically. Um, right, and, and it, a coffee machine threatening to call the cops on him because he can't afford. Yeah, which is like probably seemed ridiculous in 1969 <laughs> and now seems weirdly plausible um the the it internet happened. of things and all that yeah uh, yeah but so here's the thing about that so like it starts with this real vision of like capitalism run amok like that's an early chapter of the book um and and um given that when we get into ubik like uh, into the this dream world that the or post life world that that the characters are in, um, it really feels like Ubik is kind of oddly threatening. Like, yeah, there's this real threat that's you know absorbing reality and and basically destroying them. But Ubik seems kind of creepy and malicious, like the way it's framed in the story. Nothing that Ubik does is bad. It's it's a positive thing in the story, but he makes it very sinister and creepy, if only by virtue of the fact that it's linked to these commercials and to this uh, very unhealthy... I mean, it's hard to imagine anyone writing a book in, in 1969 or any other time later where like advertising is good and capitalism is really good and un unambiguously a great thing. Uh, like it's almost always framed as like a sat satirically negative aspect when we talk about advertising and things like that. You know, nobody ever has a good word to say for advertising. But here, 
the advertising product is like, we'll save you. <laughs> it's a positive, it's a positive outcome. There's a real like cognitive dissonance there. I think, um, I, I, you, you know what I'm saying, Andre, does that make sense? No, no, it does for sure. I think there's definitely this, like this, the, 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 the fascination with the commercialism I think is interesting in terms of like how you then make God or nature, if you will, which is Spinoza, but whatever. Oh, that's another philosophy, <laughs> philosophy thing. Um, the um, it, it, to, to thrust that into into the world of Ubik, but I think I come from the idea that like the commercialism is like it's a means of. I always think of it like it's a way of like when God's like it's, I'm coming down to your level, if you will. Uh, it's like we, the, the, people will understand advertisements around spray paint or chocolate etc or things that will save you and um versus like hi i'm god i'm here i'm <laughs> this is this is what you need to do if you will um or the or the or the bare thrust of nature itself like we do we one could argue that like we can't really interpret reality all we can do is um look at interpretations of reality for us so it's the idea of like the way that advertisements interpret reality for us then becomes um concatenated in a way that we can then that that easily deliver things in in bite-sized pieces so the the means of hey this is the thing that you you can use to save your life how do we do this how do we uh deliver this in an interesting poetic way let's do it through commercials if you will um yeah because like the it's also thing about like we need to think about it think about it in the world of like the world of the people who people who like you know watch reality TV shows or like watch um, TV obsessively and stuff, which a lot of people did and, and still do. Um, a lot of people really literally only believe things if they see it on TV. So how do we deliver um, God through TV? <laughs> Let's do it through hmm. commercials. You know <laughs> what I mean? Um, and 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 that's just me heavily relying on the God interpretation. If we go with the nature interpretation, I think it's the same way. It's just that. Frankly, it's even harder because, like, we can't uh, really interpret nature thusly. Like, to walk up into walk, you, you, no one can look directly into the sun. We need to have a, a view piece to the sun, and the view piece is commercials, if you will, is what I'm saying. Does that make any sense? Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, that, like, and that is like, that is actually something in uh, some of Dick's other work where he, like, in Faith of Our Fathers, it's taking drugs and watching a like a the big brother-esque dictator of the universe give a speech and suddenly like it takes on a whole new form it, he, he's almost got a weird morally neutral attitude to how we receive information which is very alien to us nowadays because we're very caught up in the messages and the and the media that we receive and we and whether it's good or bad and are we taking in bad things are we taking in good things and you know collectively it almost feels like dick's idea here is you receive the message and you can just sort of see what's on the screen and, and it'll, it'll transmit some deeper meaning to you. Uh, like Ozymandias and Watchmen watching uh, a million. In fact, maybe that was inspired by Ubik now that I think about it. Um, Philip, do you, you, do you have any thoughts on that or? Um, yeah. Uh, it, it also like the, the characters in this world are living in a hyper capitalist, like nightmare world. Um, it, it sort of makes sense that uh, God or the universe or, you know, the essence of being would try to communicate to them 
in a language that they understand, which would be advertising. Yeah. Yeah, no, th- yeah, exactly. Uh, so I guess that, that does make sense. It's Again, it's just funny that, like, you don't... you, you, you When you hear about advertising, you kind of get your... Gar- literature tends to make you... Uh, tends to be sort of a, a, a hostile to the idea of advertising, and, and to see it portrayed that way is kind of interesting in that, in oh, that regard. Uh, I, I was... This is uh, completely um, irrelevant. Cut this if you want. Uh, no. I just rewatched the uh, the Nick, the very underrated Nicolas Cage movie Army of One, um, which came out in 2016 about uh, where he plays a, uh, a fictionalized account of a uh, a real guy who uh, got a vision from God through um, dialysis hallucinations and tried to um, uh, in real life go go to uh, Pakistan to uh, capture Osama bin Laden. Uh, with a claymore in the movie as a samurai sword. Um, and uh, the movie does sort of interesting um, ways of integrating God and in, like visions of God into, and one of them was through a commercial, uh, which I, I just connected with this uh, just now. Uh, his, uh, his samurai sword that he, he gets uh, has, is uh, advertised with God telling him, this is your personal Excalibur uh, on a um, like home shopping network channel. Right. Yeah, and there's that you see that in uh, I think Vonnegut did some similar stuff too in uh, Breakfast of Champions. Um, but, well, yeah, I mean, like the the vision of God telling you to do something has always been. I mean, like let's blame Don Quixote de la Mancha. Like it's literally like there's that the Joan of Arc story. This the 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 list really goes on, right? It, it is a it is definitely. I mean, like fucking like with uh, Perseus and and this yeah. yeah yeah like it, but, it, it but is, like doing that yeah. specifically through ads it's it's interesting because it is oh yeah no it's a great modern take on that yeah. sort of concept for sure hmm. so um yeah the uh to shift topics a little bit uh so then the ending uh has uh Runciter, uh talking to ella his wife who has been the force that's kind of been keeping them all alive uh in this in in this world um and um you know, you, the implication is that Rensiter actually survived, and it's the others who are all dead. Uh, but then Rensiter starts to see the same kind of signs that the others had uh, when they went into the um, into when they started experiencing the fallout from the from the bomb and like the the, the coins changing changing images on them and so forth. Um, which I definitely read as yeah, okay, Rensiter is actually dead as well. Uh, it's been unclear up to this point whether he was alive or dead, but I guess he is dead, and you know, weird stuff is starting to happen. Um, it does. Uh, it does beg the question of, yeah, why it took so long for hi- for it to happen to him? But maybe he was sort of apart from the others. Um, is that your take, uh, Andre? Or yeah, I mean, I think that there it, it, it is the um, there's there's a tertiary level. There's another level to the dream, if you will. Um, that, that 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 I think has been going on. Um, and that he's just realizing now that he, they had, they did describe earlier in the novel that like, you don't start feeling like there wasn't immediate for everyone. Like people, um, only started feeling kind of the reality breaking effects, um, after some time. So maybe, yeah, maybe he, uh, was slowly dying for example, or something or something similar or some, or some, uh, the nature of his, how they, um, froze him quote unquote. Uh, could have been could have affected that. So yeah, I think that's a good way. It definitely, what's happening there, and I think that like 
um, just as an, just, I guess as an aside, like, um, this is not an un, especially in terms of a Phil Cave Disc story, this is not like a, this is a very common ending, if you will. Um, like, I, I, mm. I, I think like, I, I know that this is lifting more from the movie than the novel, but like the director's final actual cut of Blade Runner has essentially a version of that ending of like, wait, what's real again? Sort of thing. Um, right. And in my head, frankly, when I first read it, I literally like very famously that famous movie moment of, you know, Deckard picks up the, the paper, the, the, the origami and then has a nod of understanding and starts to leave. And then the famous Blade Runner music starts playing up in my head. That's what I was that's like, like I know that's what was going on. In my head. Um, and you or, mentioned or the top at the the spinning top at the end of Inception. Yeah, exactly. exactly. I mean, frankly, I, I, this I, no more. No more. We think about it. Frankly, the the the, the Philip K. Dick estate should probably sue Christopher Nolan. Let's be honest. So. Yeah. Well, I definitely think those kind of stories were again and again. I mentioned occurrence at Elk Creek Ridge, so Dick was not the first one to do this. But that whole sort of whoa is reality even real man what's going on where am i like that is very much his trademark and i feel like he was kind of the pioneer in that regard um like that that's again recurring in a lot of his stories and i think whenever you see that in a movie of like whoa was this real or not was it all just a dream was i dead the whole time kind of thing like that's literally this story and i i think this is one of the earliest examples of that happening so oh definitely because like this is like I would one would say that if the golden age of science fiction is is just completing, if you will, this is likely it's this is like the silver age, if you will, post Dune, um, post Foundation, all that stuff. So this is definitely like the response to that age of science fiction. And the one thing that they didn't they like the Clark Asimov etc. didn't really delve into is the nature of the mind, because frankly, and Asimov tell himself the mind mind's too confusing, um, and Phil Kiddick would be like, I love confusing. <laughs> so, yeah. 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 It's uh, definitely, and I mean, again, it was the times too. It was like the sixties and seventies. Exactly. Uh, that yeah. was, that was what, that was what, that was what sold paper, baby. Uh, <laughs> you know, when you were getting people to, to, and again, take a lot of drugs and vote for Linda Johnson. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, to just, uh, just the idea of yeah, like questioning reality and blowing people's minds was a very big, a, a very big move in the '60s. I don't even know if well, like Andre was Dick like a really popular writer. Like, was he a bestseller at the time, or um, was he just? Okay, I'm honestly or? not sure. Um, I, I, it's it's one of those things where he was prolific within science fiction community. I just I don't think I've ever really frankly know like his popularity outside of it um I def- mm-hmm. he's definitely one of those people who got way more popular what after he died what with blade runner like came in coming out like months before he before months after his own death etc 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 but um i'm not sure of his popularity during the time basically yeah yeah it's it's it, it's hard to believe but i mean he was a he was he was certainly big in the sci-fi community so i guess that was what kind of uh, kept things going. It's it's always weird to think about how sci-fi was this weird little side genre for so long until it really, you know, maybe 2001 A Space Odyssey, but also, you know, Star Wars really turned it into this super mainstream thing. Uh, even though, of course, people 
a lot of people were reading stuff like Dune every so often. But um, yeah, it, it, it's it's very weird to think of like how that had this huge impact on our culture and wasn't necessarily huge at the time. Uh, but clearly in the kind of uh, people we associate with the 60s <laughs> playing, yeah. you know, psych- Psychonauts, uh, he was probably pretty pretty popular. Oh, in that reality. I th- sorry, I realize that we, we haven't really talked about paranoid fiction. You, do you know what that is? Uh, I think so, but why don't you explain it? Just um, it's essentially what we've already been describing in terms of, like, questioning your reality, speculative science fiction, and this idea of just, like, re redressing the fundamental assumptions that you make around yourself. Um, that then like, it's one of those things where like the, the nature of it's, it, it's, it's all was, was what all conspiracy theories are based on a and B. Um, it's a really the, really the nature of like the things he's trying to make you think with this book in terms of, I think, especially at the end of the idea of like, well, how far, how far does the rabbit hole go? go? Like how, if we, if you think this reality is not real, why why is why do we think our reality is, is real? That sort of thing. Um, I'm reminded of um, what who I call the Joker philosophy. His name is Nick Bostrom. Okay. Uh, what does what does he say that makes him the Joker uh, philosophy? He I call him the Joker philosophy because he is the man who loves existential risks, as in like what will what will destroy the world, um, and his <laughs> entire thing is like looking at certain like one, one of the one of his major uh, focuses is around um uh the long the long um the, the long-term nature of of long-term future of humanity he literally esta- established the future of humanity institute <laughs> um so like one of the things that like he talks about is the nature of like what are things that might destroy the world and the like I'm reminded I was reminded of like uh lots of nuclear bombs and like you know the, there is this theory that um I don't think he specifically purports but the idea of like we may be in a virtual reality right now because in the future we could have made an infinite amount of virtual realities and one of them could be this one therefore there could be more virtual realities than re- actual realities so in terms of like um just in terms of a game of statistics, we more than likely are in a fake one than a real one. <laughs> um, so it's one of the, it's one of those things where it's like that's an example of paranoid fiction of like going way too far um, because uh, uh, to explain a, a certain parts of reality, but it's like fun, so we people do it anyway. Hmm. Yeah, it's it's one of those you know self. You know how can you how can you prove it's a truism? Yeah, what's it, it, real? You, it's the invisible unicorns thing. Yeah, what's the word? Um, uh, tautological, basically. Uh, non falsifiable as well. Like you can't like there's no way to prove or disprove that this is the case. So I mean, in my opinion, what difference does it make if we live in an artificial reality? Like, how does that actually affect anything? Um, I mean, there are sorts of like, so one of my favorite artificial reality questions, which is actually one of the things I want to bring up, was um, something that Leonard Sussman has brought up before, um, Suskin, Suskin, sorry, uh, the physicist, and um, some of the conclusions people got from his research. Uh, There is the theory that all, we are a projection of a black hole, if you will, um, in terms of the universe is already destroyed, 
and we are just a it's all in a black hole and it's just a projection of the things you can find from a black hole so it's like if the black hole is a storage disk the universe is is that di is is within that disk and we can't really figure out if we are protect projections of dead things or actual things themselves um it's one of the, it obviously a very extreme um and very much a uh a, uh quandary of in terms of like how does one prove any of this um but it's one of those things where it is that's a great example i think of paranoid fiction is the idea of like really redressing reality um and uh, uh, eliminating all assumptions, including that what I, A is A, what I am seeing is real, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Obviously, Ubik, it does not go that far, but I feel um, this is definitely something that Phil K. Dick would, is definitely interested in doing in, in, in general. Oh, yeah, we did a, a two-part episode on the Illuminatus trilogy, which seems to fit into what you're talking about quite a bit, um, which is... Uh, um, yeah, it, it basically ends with the reveal that, the, I mean, a, after a bunch of uh, uh, overturning of everything the characters know, at the end it, it turns out that um, the whole thing, it, they're, they realize they're fictional characters being written by a computer uh, who's a character in the story. Um, so it has the, those sort of levels of reality as well. And um, um, that, you know, book is very much... Uh, influenced by conspiracy theory culture and that sort of thing right yeah that's what it's all about yeah actually so one of the one of my favorite things is to read conspiracy theories because again great speculative fiction um and one of those things actually is like indicative of i feel like a ubic like philip k dick like story in terms of like it but else it's also based on just ridiculous and uh, the most ridiculous possible premise in terms of like uh, air is poison, and air is a hallucinogenic drug. <laughs> um, and that, like, we actually aren't, when we're breathing air, we think we're just breathing the normal thing that we need to keep ourselves alive, but it's also, we're also hallucinating the rest of reality. It actually isn't showing us anything that's, like, really real. It's just what we think it's real and stuff. Um, obviously, a little ridiculous, but it's so interesting. Um, I mean, I, uh, I think the, the, big thing um i wanted to say is that like with with ubic it's a book that like i always want to when i went when i when, I, when people ask me how do i get into philip k dick people say oh man like castle um minority report etc i always say ubic just because it's the one that's like the most self-contained i think in terms of like it gets all of my favorite parts of philip k dick summarized i would say um and it's long really the biggest problem i've always had is that like some of his best stories are always his shortest ones. And this is like, ah, give me more of this, you know? Um, so yeah, I, I, I really would recommend it to anyone who's interested in just like a fun, light read. It's super fast. Uh, probably, re prob if, you, if, if you read like me, you can probably read it in a, maybe in less than a week. So yeah. It's, a, it's probably the best intro to Philip K. Dick, yeah. Uh, it I also, uh, I like it because it's one of the ones that doesn't have a movie made about it that'll overshadow, you know, like, uh, I imagine even if I went in and read, you know, to Android's Dream of Electric Sheep, I'd just be thinking of Blade Runner's visual aesthetics and stuff. And this, yeah. you, you know, you can, um, because there's there's sort of nothing to build off in your imagination, you can sort of create something from scratch. We should actually, we, I should think we should actually quickly touch on that. Um, 
this was actually not only was the the people have been optioning Ubik for years. In fact, I think this is one of the only books that Philip K. Dick wrote wrote the screenplay himself to try to uh, make make a movie movie for it and stuff. Um, it's just that, as you can probably guess, it's nearly impossible to to adapt. Uh, Michel Gondry, the guy who did um, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, he mm. just, he tried for years to adapt it, but eventually he said, "It's like I I can't, you guys. It's so hard." <laughs> um, yeah, I can see that. Yeah. So yeah, that is that is definitely. Uh, I've always said like my one big swing is someone gave me thirty hundred million dollars. Is I would try to make ebook. So yeah. Hmm, is it getting cold in here? Well, I guess it's time to wind down for another couple weeks until we feel like ourselves again. I'm sure it's nothing to worry about. We've been licensed anti-talents, Adam Prosser and Philip Rice, and our guest has been the time-altering Andre Gordon. Uh, our producer and engineer, Alex Ross, keeps our signal broadcasting from cryospace, and our catchy jingle was composed by Jack Fierick. Uh, just a reminder, we both have a Patreon, which helps pay for hosting costs and keeping our bodies at optimal temperature for neurological preservation. Uh, if you subscribe to either of us, you can listen to this podcast early every time, as well as getting bonus material, cut footage, and illustrations and comics, among other things. Uh, this episode is going to be a little long, so there'll be a lot of bonus material in the episode if you subscribe to the Patreon version. Uh, just go to Patreon and search for Philip Rice, 1L, or Adam Prosser, 2S's or neversleepsnetwork.com slash series slash what-mad-universe for the links. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter at WMU Podcast or Prankster36 for me, or Spearhafok A for Philip. Uh, also want to plug heroeslive.tv, uh, a streaming site which I'm trying to mold into a comics community for indie online creators. Uh, check it out. You, there, you, can, uh, sub, you can have a free trial, free one-month trial if you sign up right now. Uh, that's heroeslive.tv. It's pretty cool. Uh, uh, Andre, did you have anything you uh, wanted to plug? Nothing at the moment. Um, this has been great. Thank you so much, you guys. Yeah, thanks for, for coming, Andre. This is great. Um, yeah, this has been a really cool... Uh, cool uh, book to talk about and we're, we're really glad you suggested it and we're able to be on the show so <clears throat> thanks so much and uh, we'll see you next time on what mad universe coming soon in spray on form <laughs>